All right, welcome into the third episode of Bowl Season. Uh, this is the pregame.com, RJ Bell's Dream Preview College Football Edition. I'm AJ Hoffman, joined as always by Taylor McCard, the winningest quarterback in Rice football history, although the second best quarterback in Rice football history, we've decided. Taylor, how you doing, man? How's your bowl season been? It's good. I got a, got a win earlier today with U of H. I am now watching the Liberty Bowl as we record this, which we, we talked about last week. Is I don't, I don't necessarily have you know the, the fondest of memories of the Liberty Bowl, but uh, it was you know a good bowl to, to play in at the time, and Texas Tech is opened up a couple score lead here over Mississippi State. So I know that yeah. may not be your favorite score on the board. Yeah, I got to be honest. I, I'm, I'm, the, this is uh, the, the first time we've done this where my best bet from last week is going during this game. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and mark this as a loser, and I'm pissed about it. And you, you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but this is really the first game that, that anything like this has happened where – like we've seen it, and an example happened today. Another game that I that I had put pretty good coin on was the NC State UCLA game. I was, you know, I was feeling strong about that game, feeling excited, and then they announced today, well, that game's not happening. It's it, they're just done. UCLA's got COVID, games canceled. Okay, it, that's going to happen. I, I get that. What happened with this game, I feel, is a little unprecedented because. Literally right before kickoff, they say Mississippi State has 10 players out. 10 players out before this game. And they're, the game's still going on. They, they didn't announce this earlier in, the, like earlier in the day, earlier in the week. I can't imagine they were testing you know, 45 minutes before kickoff and said, well, we got some new cases. It seems like this was information that should have been made public. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, and I've been trying to sort out how I feel about this really for the past couple of weeks in general, and, and it's not just the opt-outs, it's not just the COVID cancellations, it's it's kind of college football at a macro level across the board. There is The pendulum has swung completely in the opposite direction where the, the NCAA had total authoritarian control completely over everything for years and years and years. And now it feels like there is no control over anything. And that spans NIL. It spans how COVID policies are handled now. And uh, today is a great example of it. There's no policy. There's no, if there is a policy, it's some of it's handled on a school by school basis, or it was at a conference basis. And now you have something like today where, you're exactly right. Ten minutes before kick, you find out these players are not going to be playing for Mississippi State. And, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the policy is like in the NFL. I know there's a, a certain point in the day where these decisions have to be made. Yeah, The NCAA is going to have to adopt this if you're going to continue to have you know, COVID issues. I, my, my hope also is that we move away from the policies that were created in 2020 to where now it feels like there should be, you know, look at the, the NFL who's adapted literally on the fly in the matter of a couple of weeks to make sure that their games are being played. What we've learned also for the NCAA is your asymptomatic players really were just not being tested during the season. I mean, that's why the regular season happened really unscathed with the exception of that one Cal regular season game. This Omicron variant that's created a lot of problems and it, it clearly is running ramp it over the entire country right now. But the last bit that I'll add on this on my soapbox, 
I think there's a direct correlation between the teams that were not exactly fired up to be playing in the bowl games they were in are also a lot of the teams that are not playing their games. And right. We talked about this off air, I, and I'll, I'll let you lead into uh, you. I know you had some thoughts on this as well. Well, I know. Listen, I know this game was important to Mike Leach. And I'm sure Mike, and that was part of my handicap actually, was that Mike, I mean, Mike Leach still still says Texas Tech owes him millions of dollars. It, like he, he wanted to play this game. He like, when this game got announced, he was thrilled. And I think maybe that ends up being the detriment because it, it, in a different scenario, a team's, a team would probably say, listen, this is our, our, our half our starting defense is out uh, 10 minutes before kick. Maybe not. Um, and I, I do think that you're right. I, I I don't think UCLA was really interested in playing that game uh, against North Carolina State. I I don't I know for a fact Hawaii wasn't interested in playing their game against Memphis. They I mean they've the, the players had said as much. We don't want to play for this guy. <laughs> they didn't want to play. Uh, I think Texas A and M didn't want to play in a bowl game that really there was no way for them to come out of it looking good. Uh, and I asked you off air. If Texas A&M were in the playoff, would they have would they have said up? We're not going to make it ten days down the road. We're just not going to be able to play this one. There's no way they would have said that. They didn't want to play the game. Okay, but what I will say is this: and the NFL, I think, is doing the best job they can of handling it. I, I think that they're adjusting as they see that, like as as we start to learn more about this variant and the risks of it and things like that and how long it takes. And it, I think that they're making adjustments on the fly, which I think is the right thing to do. I get that the wheels are going to turn slower in college football. I, what this is going to do for me is any bets that I make going forward. And it, again, any bets you make early is a risk to begin with right now with COVID. Normally the the rule of thumb is bet early. You know, you, you want to get your money in before, but and. I guess theoretically the the line is going to it's going to move for you or against you about half the time. Half the time your team's going to get the covid outbreak, the other half they're going to get the covid outbreak. But with this Mississippi State game being an example, this is going to I I I'm not thrilled to put any real money on the table for for a college bowl game because yeah. this is this is something that's unhandicappable. You you can't account for 10 minutes before game saying uh yeah, half our defense isn't playing. We're out 10 guys. We're just going to give it a go anyway. It's, it's craziness. No, you're exactly right. It's one of the things that I, coming into today, was thinking we, I'm glad we're discussing this because honestly, my advice would be to wait until five minutes before kick for any of the games that you're looking to, to put a wager on for the remainder of this season because this was a great example of you just, you truly don't know what is going to happen day of the game. Maybe it's not actually five minutes before, but I would not put anything on any game prior to the day of the game because these coaches and administrations are holding out as long as possible to keep as much information as tight to the best as they can. And the NCAA is is allowing them to do it. And so, yeah, I'm right there with you. Everything we're going to talk about today, put the caveat over top of it, that this comes with, and this goes without saying, but all of these picks are being made, assuming that these teams are at full strength and what we saw from the regular season. I mean, we were we were made whole for most of the season. It, it was a it was a get right from 2020, and I thought for the regular season we got good college football 
at basically full strength. I mean, you had everybody back. You had teams playing at full capacity. And with a combination of this either you know opt-out or transfer portal world that we live in tied to this variant of COVID, this bowl season, I tweeted this out earlier today, this bowl season has been pretty underwhelming. And I know it's been the lower level. It's been the group of five bowls. But it just hasn't been that entertaining because a lot of it has been – you know, some of the ones we'll talk about today, you've got guys like Kenny Pickett. He's not playing in his game. You've got some of the best players in the country opting out of their games. Ohio State, look at the opt-outs that they have going to the Rose Bowl. That was one of the ones that I thought was always immune. No matter if you're a first-round pick or not, if you're playing in the Rose Bowl, you're going to play in that game because of what it means. I don't know. How, this is the piece, and I know we're, we're going in a, a different direction, but the opt-outs and the transfer portal, that is a piece that – I don't know how you solve for it because the bowl games, even the lower level ones, used to really mean something to to these kids. And I was one of those kids that playing in the Liberty Bowl or playing in the Armed Forces Bowl from a place like Rice meant the world. Well, now you've got kids that are, that are transferring out or opting out, and you've got teams go, you know, rolling in with mostly freshmen and sophomores, two thirds of their roster playing in the game. Look at you know Mississippi State's a good example, tagged with COVID. And honestly, these bowl games just aren't as entertaining. Oregon. Coming up in a couple of days against Oklahoma, that's another good one. They've got almost a third of their team no, that, from the regular even, season won't be That's there. not Oregon versus Oklahoma. That that's like right. Oregon's jerseys versus Oklahoma's jerseys, and and a lot of it's COVID, a lot of it's the NFL, and a lot of it's the transfer portal. And I, you know what, the transfer portal I think is a is a good thing, but I also think that it's something that in the past we just hadn't accounted for. Like we hadn't accounted for half of a team saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to play in this one. I'm going like Virginia tech's a good example that we'll get to later. I mean, half of Virginia tech's team is not playing because they're transferring and it's just, it's something that we've, we've never dealt with before. But again, that's all stuff that I'm okay with because it's stuff that we knew going into the game, this situation where, and I get that these these are kids at the end of the day, and the the rule is you don't put their medical information out there, things like that. But if it's going to be you know legalized betting is is able to happen on this, there's got to be some sort of it's got to be something. You know what I mean? You can't just say uh, we're going to let you guys push whatever amount of money you want across the board, and then right before game time we're going to say, well, there's been a massive change. It's 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 just not right. Right there with you, and I I think so much of what has come out of COVID has been very reactionary, and it's taken the wheels. You said this a second ago. The wheels have moved. It's been slow since COVID hit in 2020. I, I'm hoping that in this offseason you see some real change, both in uh, policies for how COVID is handled within the teams and then also at a, at a conference level and bowl game level there's got to be some protocols in place for who are the guys that you're going to trot out there here. You've got to let us know by X time and yeah. coaches don't want to do that. Obviously they're going to withhold that information as long as they can. They're going to try and keep every advantage that they can. But at some point that's why they do it in the NFL where you see, at, I think it's like 10 AM central, a couple hours before kick, you find out who's out all the teams, all the, the players that have been right. These are the inactives. These are our guys that either through injury or because they were, you know, they're right on the fringe of the active roster. These are the guys that are playing, and these are the ones that are not. You're going to have to have something similar in college, where maybe it's an hour before kick. You got to let everybody know. Yeah. Well. All right. Enough. Uh, enough bitching about this. What I will just say is, 
be cautious going forward. Like you, you cannot like even like I'm when I say on this show when I say this is my best bet. I, what I'm going to tell you is do not play this like it was what we were saying a best bet was in week six because it's just not the same. Uh, do not feel as confident with whatever your favorite play is. Don't feel as confident. I guess the one I, I like to think the one exception would be the, the the two playoff games that are coming up. But I don't even know with that. I, I mean, if if they can do it in this game, why couldn't they do it in that game? So if you're if you're wagering on these bowl games during these COVID times, just be aware that it it's a dangerous game. Is all I'll say. Yeah. The, the last thing I'll add on this for the playoff games, I hate that there has been this. Uh, what was rolled out by the, I believe it was by the NCA and the committee that if there's any sort of if there's a COVID issue with either team and you have to forfeit that that's what the, the motion would be is that there would be, you know, forfeit the game as opposed to postponing it. Why not just push this until you make sure we have the playoff. If it takes until we get into February to make it happen, make it happen. Don't let's not grandstand here and say, well, if we couldn't, if they weren't able to, to play on the date that the game was supposed to be played, then it's a forfeit. I think there's too much on the line. I hate that policy, and God, I'm, I'm hoping for all four teams involved that they're able to field their active roster, and that we can get these playoff games off. I, I do too, and I, you know, I, I especially worry because it, Georgia, Alabama, the, the southeast part of the United States is like a hotbed for this right now, and it, it would be. I mean, it, it's it'd be a real shame if. If somehow we, we get a situation where they just say, okay, well, you can't play, you're out, and th- what these guys have done all season long, and really, let's face it, like you said, they just haven't been testing asymptomatic guys, this, you know, during the season. It, it, if like if it's basically the same exact setup, like they're they're not really at any more risk than they were before. It's just now they're testing a little bit more. It would be unfortunate if the way these guys went through the whole season ended up not mattering and they end up losing their, you know, they're not being able to play in their championship game because of that. It would be a very disappointing thing. Okay. Let's get into the action for this week. Let's stop bitching and crying about my loss here with Mississippi state. Uh, So we'll go one and one for the podcast bets, best bets for this week. Uh, And again, we're going to go the games from December 29th through what I guess the when is that game in the LSU Kansas State game is that January fourth? So we're going to go through all these games. The way we're going to do it is we're going to we're going to start with the the earliest ones, go all the way down, and then at the end we're going to do the two playoff games, and then we're going to do our best bets. So that's how we're going to roll through this thing. Uh, we will start with December 29th, the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. The Maryland Turpins minus three and a half against Virginia Tech, a total of 55. What do you think on this one? Uh, I think the last time I faded Maryland, I think I took Rutgers, and it was a battle of uh, one of these teams is going to a bowl and the other one's not. And then it ended up not mattering because Rutgers got into a bowl anyway. But I would lean on the side of Virginia Tech as the underdog in this game. I think three points for this six and six Maryland team, or three points is. Three and a half, especially that's that's too much for me. Uh, I also the, the only piece that I worry about for Virginia Tech. Anytime you have an interim head coach, you've let your guy go. 
how motivated are you to be there? And that's, uh, you know, a motto that in a theme that we've talked about all through bowl season is how much do you actually care? But Maryland is an underdog. They're a team like an Iowa state to me. I think they're better when they're an underdog, when they're favored, I don't really trust them. Uh, I would lean towards Virginia tech in this one. Yeah, this isn't, but this isn't Virginia tech. Uh, like, trust me, I'm in no, I'm in no rush to put money on Maryland. It, Maryland stinks. Um, but this Virginia Tech team, they're without Braxton Burmeister, their starting quarterback. They're without his backup quarterback, Knox Kadem. They're without their top two wide receivers, Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson, who also happens to be their kick returner. Uh, they're without their best defensive lineman, uh, Amari ba- uh, Barno. And they're without uh, Jordan Williams. And they're without tight end James Mitchell. Uh, they're without their starting guard. They're uh, Lesida Smith. They're without their top cornerback, Jermaine Waller. Uh, they've got nothing. This isn't a Virginia Tech. This, like we talked about with Oklahoma and Oregon. This isn't a Virginia Tech. These are just guys wearing Virginia Tech uniforms. The guy who is going to likely be the starting quarterback, Connor Blumrick, was a backup H-back at Texas A&M before he came to Virginia Tech. Like that That's where they're at at quarterback. Uh, Maryland's terrible on defense. I just don't know that Virginia Tech has the bodies to to challenge them with what they've got out. It, it's hard to trust Maryland because they turn the ball over so much, but they thrive on explosiveness, and that should be available here. I, I the Roanoke Times were reporting that uh, that Caleb Smith was in a brace on Sunday, walking gingerly, so he would have been their other wide receiver. Like they're down to their leading wide receiver could be Jalen Jones who's caught one ball all year. So I, I just I, – I don't know what to think. I don't want to bet on Virginia Tech. Uh, I will say Maryland's going to start 10 seniors, which I think they're going to care. Virginia Tech's projected to start zero. Uh, they just don't have any coaches. They don't have any players. So I, it's got to be Maryland or pass for me. And I, ugh, I don't want it to be Maryland. So I think I'm just going to stay away from this game. But – if I if gunned ahead, I, I'm going with the Terps. Yeah, it's, this would be a stay away for me because I don't trust either one of these sides. Uh, but for all the reasons you mentioned on on Vatek and who they have out, again, this to me goes back to watching Maryland throughout the year and just having a firm distrust in in them on offense uh, and not exactly a stellar unit on defense as well. But this would be a stay away for me. All right, let's get to the Valero Alamo Bowl, which we discussed earlier, between Oklahoma's uniforms and Oregon's uniforms. Oklahoma's uniforms, six-and-a-half-point favorites. I, I, It's just tough to get a feel for it. There's no coaching staffs here. There's tons of opt-outs. Everybody who's good is opted out of this thing. Uh, it, there's no Thibodeau on the field. So I, I, I guess my lean is I would expect that Caleb Williams looks like the good version of Caleb Williams. Oregon's defense isn't great to begin with, and now their best players out. I, I, I guess OU's the look, but given nearly a touchdown with a team that's just missing so many pieces, including their best defensive players, by the way, it's not appetizing. I would say maybe if I if I had to find a, an angle on this game, it's probably Oklahoma over their team total, which is thirty four. Uh, I, I could see them getting some things done on the offensive end, but I, I don't trust their defense enough to really lay points. Do you see anything here? Yeah, the only thing you, – you're halfway there on what I like in this. I like the over at 60-and-a-half. I, I would expect points in this game, and some of it has to do with the skeleton crew that you're going to see on, on both sides in this game. I also think that 
Oregon up front will be one of the better units that Oklahoma has faced this season, especially uh, coming out of the Big 12. I, I know Oregon, especially against Utah, struggled, but Utah's front and Oregon and, and Oklahoma's front are those are different units. I like the over here. If there's anything that I would play, it would be the over. All right. Well, let's get into let's go to December 30th, the Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. We're looking at Tennessee right now, a six point favorite against Purdue, total at 63 and a half. This is another one that I actually would lean towards. It's a it's a big number, but I like the over at 65, and I, I know that's a lot, but both of these units, Tennessee, obviously there, a lot has been made at their, at their ability to move quickly. Purdue, they don't have any problem giving up points on, on the defensive side of the ball, and they'll get theirs. I like Tennessee. If there was, if you, you know, gun to my head, maybe pick a side in this one, I would take Tennessee at minus six. I don't love it, but I do like the over at 65. This is another one that, your sort of classic bowl game shootout where I don't anticipate there being a lot of defense played in this one. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, although, I, again, this might be a situation where I look at Tennessee's team total instead of the full game total because Purdue, David Bell opting out, He, I mean, he's going to be missed terribly. I don't know what that offense is going to look like without him. He's, he's by far their best offensive player. And then their, their number two wide receiver, Milton Wright, is also out of this game. Their left tackle's doubtful to play in this game. Uh, and then George Karioftis, who or he's the the defensive end who for Purdue who was regularly double teamed this year. He's not playing. I think that I'm I'm I think that Purdue's defensive numbers were kind of inflated because they didn't play any good passing teams this year. And when you look at their schedule, you go, Oh, well, yeah, it makes sense that they're a good pass defense because they didn't play anyone who could throw except Ohio State, who absolutely thumped them. I think the big story here is Hendon Hooker playing for Tennessee, committing to to be back next season. I think that's huge news for them for this game and obviously going forward. This is a much better version of Hendon Hooker, like in Heupel's offense, than we ever saw at Virginia Tech. Uh, So I think with no pass rush, I think that he's going to have some success running. I think he's going to have some success throwing. And I just don't trust Jeff Brom in a bowl game. Last time they were in in the – Last time they were in a bowl game was this same Music City Bowl. They got thumped by a pretty bad Auburn team. They lost that game sixty-three to fourteen. So I, I just I think Tennessee is a, a much better team, especially given what's on the field for Purdue. So it, it's Tennessee uh, probably probably Tennessee team total. Uh, I want nothing to do with Purdue in this game, particularly their offense. I think it's going to be pretty rough. Yeah, I think I think we're more or less aligned on that one. All right, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, and this is, a, a, a again, a tough game to handicap because so much has changed since this game was announced. Uh, Michigan State, we're going to go with minus 2.5 against Pittsburgh, a total of 56. And there's no Kenny Pickett, which you mentioned earlier. There's no offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple. It's just hard to get a feel for what Pitt's offense could potentially look like. And on paper, before this game, you know, before these opt-outs, and before Kenny Pickett says, I'm not playing, before Mark Whipple's gone, I really like this matchup for Pitt because you can move the ball on Michigan State through the air. And I just don't know if they can do it without without Pickett or, or without Mark Whipple, for that matter. It, like, it, it's very difficult to run the ball on Sparty. Pitt hasn't done much of that anyway. 
But then on the other side, Michigan State's going to be without Kenneth Walker, which, I mean, he's basically their offense. It would have been interesting to see him go up against his pit front seven. They, they were dominant this year. They allowed under 92 yards per game on the ground this year. They were the sixth best run defense in the country. I think that this game is just two teams that have a real hard time moving the ball. I think this ends up being a boring, ugly game. I guess I lean to Michigan State here, but I, I prefer the under in this game. What do you think? I would lean towards Michigan State here. It's it's too big a matchup for me to trust a, a backup quarterback, and not just a backup, but Kenny Pickett play, dominated the snaps all season for Pitt. Michigan State – we, you know, a lot was made. We talked a lot about their inability to stop anyone through the air, and that's what Pitt does best. But are they going to be able to do that effectively with a backup in the game? And I think Michigan State up front, even with some of the opt outs that they have, like you mentioned, I still think they'll be able to move the ball against Pitt. I would lean towards Michigan State in this one with the two and a half. All right, let's look at the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. I don't know why I give these companies any love, but I, I guess I do. Uh, let's look at Wisconsin minus six against Arizona State. And this is a couple ugly offenses. Uh, the, the only consistent offense for Arizona State has been Rashad White, who rushed for over 1,000 yards, 15 touchdowns this year. And he's not going to play. Uh, so it, it's hard to imagine a bad Arizona State offense putting up much at all against this Badger defense. That oh, they, I mean, they were dominant, allowed 16.4 points per game. Their backup running back's also out. Uh, their top two corners are out. There's a, a lot of Arizona State opt-outs here. Uh, the Badgers are going to go heavy with, with freshman Braylon Allen, who I think is the key to this game. He rushed for over 1,100 yards a 7.1 yards per carry average. After a 1-3 and three start, they inserted him as the lead back. The Badgers are 7-1 and one since. Every time he's gotten double-digit carries, they're 7-1. And, one. and on the other side of the ball, Arizona State, they're careless with the football. Wisconsin is going to be in the backfield. They're going to force poor decisions. They create havoc. I think the difference in this game is I just trust the Wisconsin defense a lot more than I do Arizona State. They've given up over 200 rushing yards three times this year. Uh, this seems like a game where where Allen could just have his way. And if you don't have to lean on Graham Mertz, I, I can trust Wisconsin. Uh, the other thing is when you look at Arizona State's schedule, they got one win over a bowl-eligible team this year, beating UCLA. Wisconsin's just a much more battle-tested team. So under a touchdown, I'm certainly leaning to the Badgers. What do you see? I would lean that side. That the piece that I like the most would be team total over for Wisconsin. Actually, uh, I, I, I don't love the forty-one here because I don't trust Arizona State to get theirs and hold up their end of the bargain. But it would not shock me if Wisconsin really wore them down over the course of the game, and, and you saw Wisconsin get to something that has a you know a three in front of it on their side, and it's more because they just dominated the trenches on both sides of the ball. So if there's anything I would play in this one, it'd be team total over for Wisconsin. All right. Well, I don't disagree with you on that either. Let's keep it rolling. The uh, We're getting through these pretty fast. I guess when we say, well, there's a lot of questions. I don't know. It's no point in dwelling on these games that there's a lot of questions about. 
uh, here's one where they changed the, the whole team last, uh, not last minute, but like you said, Rutgers in a bowl now. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, Wake Forest minus 15 against Rutgers, total of 62. Texas A&M dropping out of this bowl opened up a spot for Rutgers. They were 5-7. and seven. They qualified basically because they had a high academic progress rate. That's great. That's wonderful news, but they suck at football. Uh, they did not win a game against a bowl-eligible team this year. They lost to Northwestern, who won zero other games in, in the Big Ten. Wake Forest is the real deal on offense. Whatever you think about them on defense, Rutgers does not have the offense to punish their weakness. They've got they got about a month more of practice time. I can't see a world where I bet on Rutgers. Wake's the only way I can really look here. But then again, I, I'm thinking more about a team total. 37.5 as the team total for Wake. They've put up just under 40 points per game on average this season. And Rutgers is well below the average opponent they've seen this year from a power ranking standpoint. I think Wake just kind of called they, – they named their number in this game. I think over team totals probably the way to go rather than than lay a 15-point spread. You see, you see anything different there? I actually want to – this is – I think I know how you feel about this, but I want to ask for your – because this stood out to me. I, I, would, I would love your thoughts on this, and, and I think the listeners would too. All of the – the majority of the money coming in on this is on Rutgers, which shocked me given that they were the last-minute ad. What are your thoughts on that when you see public money coming in on, on a side like that that doesn't really make a lot of sense? Does that sway you at all? Do you care? I, I don't worry about that as much. Like, to me, that is – again, you're talking about a line that opened 14 and a half. It's now 15. That's not a, a crate. I mean, it, it really, that's not much of a move at all. Like, it's not through a key number. That could be as simple as, you know, there's some some Wake Forest fan. Like, Rutgers generally sucks. Okay. The the num- the money, the more amount of money coming across is, is on Rutgers. That could be their – their fans or their fan base has some big money guys who are excited. Their team's in a bowl. I, I don't know what it could be. I'm I'm not looking at that move. Like unless it moves through a three or a seven, I'm not looking at it as much of anything. So I, it doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, I I tend to agree. And a lot of times that's some of the the bets that I love the most is when I think I'm fading the public when something's a you know ninety percent of the money is in on one side. Uh, but for this one. There is no way that I would take Rutgers, and the the number at fourteen, and even now at fifteen, I don't think is enough. You're coming off cold; these guys were doing nothing for three weeks, and now you've got to get them ready to go to play one of the best offenses in the country. There's no way I would take Rutgers. Wake, I think, is the better side in this. If you made me take anything here, it would be Wake at, at fifteen. I think they're probably closer to a, a three touchdown favorite, is what I think it should be, but. Uh, there's, there's really, again, really nothing on the Rutgers side that I like at all. Let's look at Washington state. And I don't, I couldn't find a, a firm number on Washington state and central Michigan. I don't, I don't really have anything on this game. I'm glad that central Michigan found an opponent, you know, after both these teams lost their opponent, they decide to play each other. I think it's cool. I don't know that I have a real feel for this game yet, so I don't want to give out any information that's that's bullshit because that's what it would be right now. The only thing that I would say in this is I, I like Central Michigan to keep this 
within that seven and a half. I think this will be a closer game than people realize. Uh, it will be it will be interesting to see how both of these teams react to you know, three days of preparation. They were getting ready for bowl games against totally different teams, and then in a matter of uh, again forty eight hours, really, this is spun up. And you know, I, I say a prayer for those GAs that are still probably pulling all nighters, grinding away, putting all the tape together, so these these staffs can get as prepared as possible before this game. I like Central Michigan, though, to keep this within the seven and a half. Uh, Washington State, I think still some of the problems that you saw on the defensive side of the ball in, in the Pac-12 conference, I think you will see uh, Central Michigan expose some of those as well. Um, I think Washington State probably wins this, but I think it, it's inside that seven and a half. All right, well, you got better information than I've got on that one. Let's get to the Outback Bowl. I think this should be a pretty good one. Arkansas... About a one-point favorite right now against Penn State, 47-and-a-half the total. And I think this game just boils down to health. I, I think Arkansas had a run in the middle of the season where they had a ton of injuries on the offensive line. I, I think it cost them games against Auburn. I think it cost them a game against Mississippi State. It nearly cost them a game against LSU. And now they're healthy on the offensive line, and the run game, I think, should be humming. And Penn State – they lost their defensive tackle, P.J. Mustafer, and since he got hurt in that Iowa State game, Penn State's gone two and four. Those wins over Mar- they're over Maryland and Rutgers. We have seen Arkansas's run game completely shut down this year by Georgia. It, they scored zero points in that game. If you can take away their run game, you could you can beat them. This version of Penn State is nowhere near that level right now. Uh, I think we have a more recent data point where Arkansas was able to put 35 up on Alabama because they ran the ball really well. I, I think they can move the ball consistently enough to win this game. So I, I, I lean pretty heavily towards Arkansas here. This was one of the ones that I had circled, I would say, in the top three of the, of the picks that I liked the most this week with Arkansas at, at minus one um, for a lot of the reasons that you pointed out. I also think Penn State just – could never it could not get right all season and some of it was injuries uh, some of it was you know quarterback position being banged up for a lot of the season you'll go back to the the Illinois whatever it was nine overtime debacle but I don't think they ever got fully healthy and now you've moved into bowl season with hopefully I know there's a couple days still until this game hopefully there's no COVID issues for either one of these teams but for Arkansas I think I agree with a lot of what you said impressive through most of the SEC schedule. And, and I think the way that they lost to Alabama, the second la- second to last game of the season, I think that was pretty telling that they were still scrapping and clawing and fighting and presented a lot of challenges to Alabama that really were surprising to me. I, I think they're the better unit. I think they'll be more physical up front on both sides. And, and I would like them, you know, I think they would, I think they would win this game outright. I like them at minus one. All right, let's look at the Verbo Citrus Bowl. Kentucky, three-point favorites against Iowa. And if you have listened to this podcast for most of the year, you know that I absolutely hate this Iowa team. So surprise, I'm against them again here. This offense is dreadful. And now the one good player they had on offense, Tyler Goodson, not going to play. I don't know how they replicate his production because if they had anyone who could come close they would have found a way to get that guy on the field this season. And Kentucky's missing some parts on offense as well, uh, namely with some wide receivers, Josh Ali, Isaiah Epps. 
But Wandale Robinson is going to play. He's explosive. He's going to be a matchup problem for Iowa. The strength of Kentucky, though, is on the O-line, and they are all healthy. They're all playing. And I don't think Kentucky is going to come out and put up some huge number, but I think they've got a clear advantage on offense here, especially considering Goodson is out. I don't know how Iowa puts up points. I think these teams are close to even on the defensive side. I like Kentucky a lot. Kentucky was probably they were they were in the in the running for my best bet. Uh, what do you think on this one? I don't have a great feel on the spread in this one uh, because some of the things that Kentucky does well with regards to running the ball, I think Iowa will actually have a pretty good answer for. I like the under at forty four. Uh, I I think the the strengths of both of these teams don't line up well with the strengths of the other side, and it really comes down to. Uh, Iowa can't throw the ball, and <laughs> they run the ball okay. Kentucky's got a pretty good run defense. And then on the flip side, Kentucky runs the ball well. Iowa's going to have an answer and try and force them to throw the ball. If there's anything I would lean towards here, it would be that under at 44. I, I would not expect a lot of offense in this game. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. There will be much. Uh, let's look at the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. Notre Dame, two-point favorites against Oklahoma State, 45 and a half the number there. What are you seeing? I like Notre Dame. Uh, I like Notre Dame a lot in this game. I think you will see Notre Dame force Spencer Sanders to beat them through the air. And if you go back and watch how Baylor played Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game, that's exactly what they forced him to do. And he wasn't able to do it. And there's your blueprint. And I think Notre Dame will just replicate that. It's a better team than Baylor. Uh, I really think that Notre Dame, this really should be, you know, more than a field goal that it's at. I think it's, they're, they're probably a, a touchdown better than this Oklahoma state team. I know Oklahoma state powerful on defense. They do a lot of things well, but you're the weakest unit on either side for both teams is Oklahoma state on offense. I don't trust them at all to move the ball consistently in this game. I would take the Irish at minus two and a half. Yeah, I, I lean to the Irish as well. I, I think this is going to be one of the more interesting games. I, I don't think it's going to be a particularly fun watch. Notre Dame's won seven straight games following that Cincinnati loss, and their offense looks really good. But in that seven-game streak, they played seven defenses that grade outside the top 90 in PFF. And Oklahoma State is a legit defense. Like they are, Notre Dame's going to be without their running back, Kyron Williams, although Okie State has a big question at running back as well. Jalen Warren's missed the conference title game. His backup won't play in this game. I don't know what Jalen Warren's status is. I think with Freeman taking over at head coach, I think defense is going to be the priority in this game for them. And that's been the case all year long in Stillwater. I, if I had to lean to a side, it's Notre Dame. But I, I like the under 45 and a half for this game probably more than I like a side. Yeah, the 45 and a half I don't have a, a great feel on because I'm not sure Notre Dame may have their own explosion in this game on offense and, and they get you most of the way there. I could also see this being similar to what we talked about with, with Kentucky and Iowa where this is just a total knockdown drag out both of these teams are struggling to get to 20 points aside. Uh, that piece I don't trust as much as I would expect Notre Dame to give Oklahoma State problems on the defensive side of the ball. And from an emotional standpoint, if there's a side here that I would trust, it's it's actually Notre Dame, which you don't normally say this, but it would be Notre Dame rallying around 
their new head coach after Brian Kelly leaves and the way that that played out. It seemed like everybody wanted him to be the coach. I I totally agree. And the way that they rallied around him and Tommy Reese and the remainder of that staff that has remained in place, I actually could see from an emotional standpoint, Notre Dame coming out swinging and, and you would notice it immediately if that's the case that they, they may want to actually be there more than Oklahoma state does. All right, let's look at the Rose Bowl. As we mentioned, late opt-out announcements for Ohio State has kind of pushed this number down some. Ohio State minus 4.5 against Utah, total 64.5. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave both opting out for this game. Uh, Ohio State's starting left tackle, uh, Petit Frere, is out, uh, and their defensive tackle, Haskell Garrett's out for this game. There's been no announcements for Utah but again, like you said, this this game used to be immune to stuff like this. The Rose Bowl was so big that like it, these the Pac-12 and the Big Ten so desperately wanted to get to this game. You know, it, it was like it was almost like it, it was as good as being in the playoff. Uh, the, the Utah, like I said, Utah, no announcements yet. There's rumors though that Kyle Whittingham may retire at the end of the year, which to me would only solidify this huge team. I, I don't think motivation is something you have to deal with in the Rose Bowl or question, but I do think that there's some red flags with Ohio State, like with, with these guys opting out. Utah played their best football down the stretch. They got two dominant wins over Oregon. They blew out UCLA. They, they beat up on the best teams that they played this year. Meanwhile, Ohio State's coming in off a loss, a, a really a, th- a thrashing at the hands of their biggest rival in a game that could have put put them in the playoff. I, it feels to me like Utah is happier to be here than Ohio State. I, I'm leaning that way. Utah plus four and a half. What, what do you think? I would not. To me, this is a do not overthink the top to bottom talent between these two teams. And, and Ohio State got the absolute best that Michigan could give them. Michigan put together an absolute perfect performance. I think from a talent perspective, Ohio State was still the more talented team in that game. They just didn't play very well and and didn't have the proper emotion that you need against Michigan at home, and they got exposed for it. But top-down, even with the opt-outs, the depth that Ohio State brings with the four and five stars that they have on their roster – I still think Ohio State wins this game. I think they win it by more than a touchdown. Utah put together you know, their best two performances of the year really were both against Oregon. But the challenges that Ohio State is going to present, even with some of the backups that they'll have in, I think is is too much. And you're asking them to do much on both sides of the ball at you know, all three levels. I like Ohio State. And this was another one that I really – I had circled in the – uh, when I first went over these because I trust Ohio State and their their talent much more than I do Utah. All right. Uh, I don't disagree with that. I it, It's just a matter – like I do think, like you said, they didn't have the right mindset going into that Michigan game. I, it doesn't feel like they've got the right mindset going into this game either. That's though. a good point. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's look at the Sugar Bowl, the All-State Sugar Bowl, Ole Miss and Baylor. I think this is going to be a fun game. Uh, Ole Miss a one-point favorite, a 55-point total. We haven't heard any opt-out news in this game. Not that I've heard it. I mean, I don't know if you've picked up on anything, but I, I think we can discuss this game as if everyone's a full go. I, the the one question, I guess, is about Jerry Bohannon's injury. 
uh, if he's going to play or not. Is, is he ready to go? I don't know. But Blake Shapin was was solid in his absence. You saw Baylor's offense drop off a little late in the season, but defensively they've just been so good. They're going to be tested by Ole Miss as a top 10 rushing offense that's even more dangerous when Matt Corral's operating at 100% health, which he he is right now. I don't He wouldn't be playing in this game if he wasn't because he's got a lot of money he's going to make in a couple months. Um, I think Ole Miss is worlds better defensively than they were a year ago. I think they'll, they'll be able to at least limit the Bears' offense, but they're pretty weak against the run. This game feels like a coin flip, so I'm probably staying off the side here. I, I don't have a good feel for who's going to win this game. I still think there's value on the under. Ole Miss has been an under machine this year because I think a lot of it was last year they were so bad on defense, and they, they you know the games got out of hand. They're 9-3 and three to the under this year. Baylor keeps winning games where they don't even score 30 points. This feels like a, a tailor-made under. Uh, do you have a feel for it either way? I love that this is one of the few that you know that are the, the non-playoff games that it feels like still has a ton of emotion behind it. Baylor winning the Big 12, knocking Oklahoma State out of potentially getting into the playoff. They've, like you said, you know, there's not really opt-outs on either side. And then Ole Miss, Matt Corral coming out and saying, hey, look, I'm not leaving my guys here. Like, I'm going to play in this game. I, I wish that I, – I see both sides of this, and both can be true. I totally understand your top talent in college football opting out, and I get it. But I also really appreciate when the top talent says, hey, I've been here for whatever it is, three or four years, and I'm not going to leave these guys. I'm going to play in this last game with them. I appreciate that out of Matt Corral. And I hope, as everybody else does, that he gets through this game healthy and that nothing changes for him. So I, I love from a fan's perspective that you have everybody fired up for this game. I The only thing that I love here, and it's really out of principle, is the over at 55 and a half. All right. Got, well. you know, your, last, your, your last game with Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin, they're going to throw everything they have at Baylor. And the thing that Baylor does well, running the football, like you said, Ole Miss is going to struggle slowing them down. If Baylor can hold up their end of the bargain, I don't think there's – they shouldn't have any trouble getting to that 55 and a half number. This might be the most interesting coaching matchup, you know, at least going, I mean, outside of, I, uh, I'm trying to think, I, yeah, this is more interesting than either of the playoff games. This might be the most interesting coaching matchup in bowl season, uh, Aranda and Kiffin. I, I, I like, I'm really looking forward to seeing what these guys do. Uh, but I, I do think that I, I'm I'm against you on that. I, I think that this I I think that Ole Miss's defense is better than than people want to give them credit for, uh, and I think Baylor can can do a good job of, of throwing some different looks at, at Corral and, and slowing him down. Uh, this, I I do think this is going to be one of the more fun games on the slate. All right, let's get to the Texas Bowl, which this is another shit bowl. Uh, let, let's face it. Let's just call it what it is. Kansas State minus three and a half against LSU. I think there's some reason for long-term optimism in Baton Rouge with Brian Kelly. There's no reason for short-term optimism with LSU. They still don't know who's going to play quarterback in this game. They, they've they asked for a waiver on Garrett Nussmeyer. Like, they don't want to burn his red shirt, which is odd. To, like, do we do, do teams even worry about that anymore, burning red shirts? Like, if a guy's worth a shit, does he ever stay around for four full years and – now you can get a COVID exemption year. Any like, is this guy any good? Like, is he if he's really good? Then what are we worried about him not having his fifth year? What are we talking about? Like, 
You need a quarterback for a bowl game. Like, how about play one? But it, so that's beside the point, I guess. But if he doesn't come through, it could be John Trey Kirkland, who's a senior wide receiver that played quarterback in high school. But it's not just QB. There's just a, a mass exodus of talent. Some to the transfer portal. Uh, some like Neil Farrell and, and Damone Clark to the NFL draft. I, I don't know what outside of of brand name you would put on LSU. Like like what what outside of that would lean you towards LSU? It's Kansas State or nothing for me here. What do you see? This is my – I don't have any great analysis to give you. There is too much uncertainty from the LSU side, like you mentioned, and the opposite side at Kansas State, about 500 against the spread this year. It, basically what you would expect out of Kansas State for most of the season. Them favored at three and a half. I don't have a good feel on the over, you know, over under 48. Don't have a great feel on that. This would be a total stay away game for me. And you don't know what LSU is going to give you on offense, like, right? No and and I, know. from an entertainment standpoint, of course I'm going to watch it because it's it's a bowl game and there's it's the only one on that day. But this is not one that I'm I'm excited about. Don't have a great feel on total stay away game for me. All right, let's get into the playoff games. Let's start with the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, Alabama. 13 and a half point favorites against Cincinnati. And I'll I'll say this. I'm probably lower on Cincinnati than just about anyone who's like talking about college football on a national level. And I still can't get to 13 and a half. Uh, my power ratings have it just outside of 10. Like Bryce Young waited till the best possible moment for his Heisman game and they blew the doors off Georgia. But that's been far from consistent for Alabama like they were underwhelmed they almost lost to LSU they almost lost to Florida they almost lost to a bad Auburn team they fell apart late and lost to A&M like this has not been a runaway and hide team this year and now they're going to be without John Mechie he tore his ACL in the SEC title game I think that's a huge loss and Cincinnati whatever you think of them they've got an SEC caliber secondary like they a, a lot of this to me like a lot of the question in this game boils down to how does Desmond Ritter handle the step up in competition? And this year you'd say, well, it's pretty good. Three of his four best games by QBR were against the three best teams they played: Notre Dame, SMU and Houston. But it's hard for me to get past some of the past data points. Last year's peach bowl, Georgia sacked them eight times. He stunk. Uh, the year before that they played Memphis in the AAC conference title game. He didn't show up at all. He didn't show up in the Ohio State game that year. Uh, the year before that, when they played Central Florida, it was one of the worst games of his career. I do think he's a different guy now. I think that he's going to be prepared for this game. Could Alabama just overwhelm them with raw talent? Sure. They've historically smashed teams that come into the playoff with lesser talent. They, they beat Michigan, thir- Michigan State 38-0 back in 2016. They beat Washington 24-7 the next year. Last year – when we're like, oh, does Notre Dame really belong? No, they beat them by 17 points. I, my power ratings, like I said, make this just outside of 10. I just can't get there with the tide. So I, it's going to be Cincinnati plus 13 and a half or, or nothing for me. If it gets to a 14, it's going to be Cincinnati plus 14 for me. Right now, it's certainly a lean that way. When this game was first put together, especially after Alabama, the way that they manhandled Georgia, my initial reaction was, 
they probably run Cincinnati out of the gym. And the more I've thought about this and the more I look at the things that Alabama did well against Georgia, I I think, and it, it's kind of unbelievable to say this, I think a lot of this was Georgia just being on their heels and Bryce Young playing, like you said, the best game of his career and like solidifying his Heisman moment at the biggest stage. And I don't see them replicating that. If anything, if there's an emotional letdown, I think it would be on the side of Alabama. And not that they're going to lose this game. I, I think they win against Cincinnati. But yeah. this is a long-winded way of saying, I don't trust 13.5 with Alabama. That's, that is too much against a team that's been disrespected for a very long time. And now they're getting their shot. You talk about the entire kitchen sink being thrown at Alabama. Cincinnati's going to do literally everything they can. Anything in the arsenal is getting thrown at Alabama in this game. I think they keep it close for you know three and a half quarters. If Alabama wins by two scores and it, it's a you know, 10, 12-point win, wouldn't surprise me. But 13 and a half is a lot. So if there's a side I'd lean towards, it's Cincinnati. All right, let's look at the other side of this. Georgia, minus seven and a half against Michigan, 45 and a half total. What do you see? Yeah, I'm, I'm going underdog again. And I think we've fallen for the trap that was very similar with Ohio State back you know, at the last game of the regular season. We thought the historical tendency of, of Michigan is that when they get into these games, they, you know, they pee down their leg. I mean, that's traditionally what happens with Jim Harbaugh since he'd been at Michigan. And I think they have bucked the trend and you've got teams going in opposite directions where all of the momentum and the belief within the program is on the right side of Michigan or on the flip side. I think Georgia was completely rocked internally by Alabama and the way that they dismantled them. And some of the things that Michigan does well in the run game, I think they're going to struggle against Georgia, but I still think they'll be able to, there's enough that Cade McNamara can do in the downfield passing game especially with what Bryce Young put on tape. Is Cade McNamara Bryce Young? No. But are there some things that they can do in their downfield passing game that I think they'll be able to replicate against Georgia enough to keep this within a score? I think there is. Uh, I, I see this closer to a who's got the ball last in this game has a chance to win. Uh, I, I like Michigan at plus seven and a half. Yeah, I, I'm against you on this. I feel like Georgia is just a better version of Michigan. Like they're very similar, except Georgia's just got better players, and I, you know the the pass rush for for Michigan, which is so key to their success. I think it's mitigated because they're playing against the best offensive line in the country. Uh, I I think that what we saw Bryce Young do is not replicable, but not by not by Michigan. You know. We 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 think about the when's the when's the what's the lowest point you would have been able to buy Georgia at this year? It's right now. What what's the highest point you would have to buy Michigan at? It's right now after they beat the shit out of Ohio State. I I think that an overreaction to one data point, like if if Ohio, if Georgia hadn't gotten smacked around by Alabama, would you say Michigan Michigan seven and a half points within them? I, I just don't think anybody would think that. So yeah, I, I feel I'm like maybe you. I think there's an overreaction to Georgia having a bad game. And I think that Bryce Young was able to chew him up. I, I, like he threw for 421 yards in, in that game. 
I don't know if Cade McNamara has two best games. He, he's he's thrown for 421 yards. I, I don't know if that's, if that's even possible. And I think back to that Michigan State game where Kenneth Walker ran for 197 yards and five touchdowns against Michigan. They, they just got punked out up front by another physical team, especially as the game wore on. And like the one thing you're not going to question is, well, does Georgia have the physicality to hang with Michigan? Like 100% they do. In, in the trenches, I, I think Georgia, like Georgia is better than Michigan. And I, I just I, I think that it's hard for me to, to picture Michigan going blow for blow with them. I, I think that you're going to see some I, you're going to see some Stetson Bennett. I think they want him to, to keep throwing, but I think JT Daniels is going to get some time because I think they know if they play Alabama, they're going to need someone who, who gives them a little bit more of a down the field threat. Uh, I, I also saw today Georgia's going to have uh, George Pickens, who was great last year and then only played in two games this year. They'll play in the last two games, and then he missed the first month of bowl practices. They thought he wasn't going to play. Now he's considered a full go. It, I think that they've got the weapons to beat Michigan. I, I Like I said, I think they're just a, a better version. I don't know that I want to pay the hook. I think if it was seven, I'd, I'd probably like Georgia here. Right now it's just a pretty heavy lean to Georgia. Um, I, but I want nothing to do with Michigan here, especially buying them at, at certainly the peak of what their value is going to be at coming off that win. Then we're fighting in that one. I will All right. go opposite in that one. Uh, I think we may go opposite. We're going to get to best bets now. I think we're going to fight on my best bet, and I'll do mine first. Um, in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, I'm, my best bet, and again, I, I want to, uh, to put the caveat that any best bets – or any bets that you get from <laughs> from this podcast, buyer beware because again, does this have anything to do with Tech up thirty four to seven right now? <laughs> oh, they're crushing them! Like <laughs> Mississippi State, I, I, I'm so pissed about that. I'm not going to get over this anytime soon. This is going to be a topic of conversation on the radio in the near future. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm allowed to cuss here though, so it's better for me to to just get it out here and say, yeah, this is a safe space. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> that they played this game. Uh, but I'm going to go with the Duke's Mayo bowl. I'm going to go with North Carolina minus nine against South Carolina for my best bet. And one thing I know about Mac Brown from spending a lot of years covering him in Austin is that he cares about winning bowl games. What does Shane Beamer care about recruiting? I would guess that Shane Beamer has been out recruiting his ass off while Mac Brown's been prepping for a bowl game. And this game's in North Carolina, so I think there is already some sort of built-in home field advantage. Uh, but I, I here's why I know North Carolina cares about this game. Otherwise, why would Sam Howell be playing? We're talking we're not talking about the Sugar Bowl or the Rose Bowl. We're talking about a potential first-round quarterback playing in the Mayonnaise Bowl. Like they care, okay? Him suiting up uh, their best wide receiver, uh, John Downs, is, shoot, is suiting up. Ty Chandler, uh, he's going to play. All these guys could have opted out. All three are planning on playing. South Carolina is without their best, their best defender, their pass rusher, Kingsley Ingabare. Uh, he's prepping for the draft. That should help out the pass protection of UNC, which has been kind of the weakness of their offense all year. But they're going to run on this team. They are going to run. Howell's going to run. Uh, Chandler is going to run. And then the starting quarterback for South Carolina 
he's in the transfer portal. It's going to be Zeb Nolan. Who I don't know how much how many people have heard the story of Zeb Nolan, but this was a guy who was an Iowa State quarterback who transferred down when Brock Purdy showed up and was like really good. He's like, okay, shit, there goes my playing time. So he goes to North Dakota State. He ends up in like a sort of a backup timeshare role at South Dakota State and then takes a graduate assisting coaching job with South Carolina. They start breaking down a quarterback and they say, wait a minute, he's got eligibility remaining. So he's played some games for South Carolina. He's Their graduate assistant is now starting their bowl game. But he's also going to be starting it without Zaquandre White, who is their leading rusher, by far their best player on offense. 6.6 yards per carry this season. This is a bad offense to begin with. And now they're missing key pieces. I think this is an absolute truck for North Carolina. Uh, they've got the best rushing attack in the ACC. They've, they face a Gamecocks defense that's given up over 190 rushing yards in four of the last five games. They don't have an offense to keep up in this game. I think that North Carolina, they could easily be disappointed that they're playing in the Mayo Bowl, given what their preseason expectations were. But like I said, the fact that all these guys are playing tells me that they're taking this seriously. So I think North Carolina just houses this South Carolina team, who I think is one of the worst teams to make a bowl game. I think you're right that Mac Brown wants to win bowl games. I will say he may, if he throws this game, it's so that he doesn't get a Mayo dumped on him. Which they you know, a lot has been made on whichever winning coach is going to get a bath of mayonnaise, which is disgusting. But uh, you just have more faith in Sam Howell and North Carolina than I do at nine and a half. That's a lot, and it's really a rivalry game between the two of them. Um, I think it's closer to a one-score game. I think North Carolina is the better side, but it's, I see this as more of a touchdown, and if. South Carolina is going to do the best they can to muddy this up and keep this sit on the football, try and play keep away, limit house possessions. And North Carolina did very little in the regular season to tell me that they you know deserve to be a two score lead over very many teams. And this is just not one of those games. So it's not a strong lean, but I certainly, if there was a side that you, you made me take in this game, it would be South Carolina. It's just, it's too much for me to take North Carolina at nine and a half. Ugh. I I think this South Carolina team is terrible. Like the fact that they're in a bowl game is is almost insane to me. Uh, I I just and I'm I agree. You know this North Carolina offense is not what it was advertised to be coming into the season, certainly. But it, it, Sam Howell could have you know not played in this game and just gone off reputation. I think he wants to make a statement. So uh, I, I'm I, I guess we'll have light disagreement on this one. But I, I think that this is a truck. All right, let's get to your best bet in the like the only game that's bigger than the Mayo Bowl is the Cheez It Bowl. Yeah, my it, my last best bet of the year. I mean, we'll, I'll, we'll give out some some leans and stuff in the uh, championship game, but for the full open board, last one of the season, and what better way to go out than continuing to fade the Clemson Tigers? Um, I I've got to go with. Iowa State at plus two and a half. Um, it's just not a a Clemson team that I think is good enough to keep this within one score. I think Iowa State wins this maybe by closer to ten. Um, I, I think it's it's the better side. I think they're going to get theirs on offense, and I don't trust 
uh, Uyunglele and the, the Clemson offense. So I like Iowa State plus two and a half. Yeah, I, I think this really the, the handicap on this game is how much does losing these coordinators matter? Like somehow Tony Elliott had the worst offensive season in the history of time at Clemson and parlayed it into a head coaching job at Virginia, which I, I don't really understand. And I don't think it matters. I think the real concern is losing Brent Venables. I, I, I mean, this team, you, you consider this team finished nine and three with almost nothing on offense. Their defensive unit is elite. And uh, the the offense that they do have is going to be limited. Justin Ross is prepping for the draft. Uh, Joseph Nott is questionable with a foot injury. And Iowa State's good on defense. This is their 10th national yards per game allowed. But the Cyclones are without some key guys too. To their top two wide receivers and Brees Hall, who is irreplaceable to them. He's the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. I don't know how their offense looks without him. And Purdy was good this year, but a lot of it was Purdy was good because Brees Hall was standing behind him. Both these teams had high hopes coming into the season. I think both of them have to be really disappointed that they're playing in the Cheez-It Bowl, <laughs> considering what – like Iowa State was favored to win the Big 12, weren't they? I mean, Clemson had national championship hopes, and they're in the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, the The one thing that scares me on your side is it, it kind of goes back to the Ohio State, uh, what you said about the Ohio State-Utah game. The players on Clemson, the talent, is significantly better. Like, they've they've got NFL guys all over the field. What, however poorly they perform this year, They've got the, They've got way more talent. The team in orange will have way more talent. Uh, but I, I think how this defense does without Venables is going to decide who wins a game. I I kind of lean to Clemson. Uh, they they've scored over thirty six points per game the last five games since the pit loss. They're all wins. Uh, the only game in the front half of their schedule that they went over twenty one was against South Carolina State. So their offense has gotten better as the season's gone on. I just I don't know if they're motivated. I don't know how much of an effect losing these coordinators is going to have. Certainly, Iowa State's got more continuity coming in. Matt Campbell could have left, and he didn't. Uh, I think they're probably excited about that. But Brees Hall being out is just too massive for me to be to, for me to be in in any way interested in betting money on Iowa State. Totally hear you. Totally fair. But I can't trust DJ Oyungale, and it's a it's a good Iowa State side. On defense, good enough that I think Clemson has limited opportunities to score, and they'll do enough on offense. Uh, saying that they'll win by 10, probably too strong, but I do think they win the game, and especially as an underdog at two and a half. I really like that. I think there's a lot of value there. So I'll take the Cyclones with my last best bet of the year. All right, man. Well, that'll do it for an extended episode. If I, if I cut out 15 minutes of bitching about Mississippi State, screwing me over here then maybe i we get this thing done at a normal pace but i think it had to be said and i had to say one more time it's bullshit mike leach it's bullshit <laughs> uh so i hope they lose every game next year and i hope texas tech keeps his money forever um but taylor appreciate you hopping on doing one more of these extended things and and like i said we will once we know who's in the championship game we're gonna have one more episode for college football we're going to take a look at the side. We're going to take a look at the totals. We're going to take a look at some props and see if there's any way to make some money on the national championship game. So enjoy these last few bowl games, my friend. 
And, uh, and I'll talk to you when the championship game gets announced, and we will talk to you guys as well then. Thanks to McKenzie. Thanks to Brad. And, of course, thanks to you guys for listening to us all year. We really appreciate it. And uh, you guys take care. We'll see you guys in 2022.